Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rabbit Weasel Podcast. This is episode 40 on John Carpenter's The Fog. But first, as always, I'm your host, Jared, here again with my brother, Justin, and sister-in-law, Mia. Uh, Mia, we'll start with you. Hello, Mia. How are you? (laughs) Jared, I'm doing pretty good. Good. Justin, how are you? Pretty good, man. It's Monday, which we never record on Mondays, and... I think we should do it again. I'm feeling pretty energetic. Like I got, had a nice weekend, although we did have a nice refreshing weekend. Uh, we went to Oregon Beach, which was kind of cool, and it's beautiful. Oh. And um, yeah, worked and hung out with the fam today. And now I'm here hanging out with you, man. Hard to beat the day. And with my wife, of course. Yeah. We, <laughs> right. As an afterthought there. Um, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Right Kick now, down. Kick me while I'm down. Yeah, I am between semesters right now. Uh, we just We're had Chinese, Chinese New Year. Yeah, so where this is a school break, so that's when we're recording at kind of a, a different time here, trying to get a little bit of ahead of schedule. So um, happy Chinese New jump. Year to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been. Have you guys ever been so lazy that you're tired? Like tired? <laughs> I've slept so much. I'm sleepy. You know, yeah. yeah, I can relate. Yeah, I can totally relate. I have a harder time relating. Um, yeah. I could sleep till like noon and still feel tired. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, my my sleep schedule is all messed up, so uh, uh, I have to get it. that. Yeah, I have to get that back on track, but uh, it'll be all right. Uh, so yeah, John Carpenter's The Fog. Okay, this one was my pick, my turn. Um, so first off, had either of you ever seen this movie before? No. I didn't think I had, but I'm pretty sure we watched it together once because the characters, uh, I start, I remembered the lighthouse lady and the radio and a few other elements. So I think we watched it together one time before, but I only remembered like the vague outlines, not kind of how it's resolved and yeah. details really. So that could have been maybe even 10 years ago at this point, you know, uh, um, yeah. oh, eight right. or 10 yeah but uh all right mia's it was definitely your first time watching right yes it was definitely my first time watching it i always confuse it for some reason with um the mist can't mm. confuse stephen king and john carpenter though <laughs> the mist the fog the steam uh, <laughs> i don't know uh yeah very different movies very uh similar names but um so what did you think about it mia I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was fun. And plus, I got to see some familiar faces, which was really mm-hmm. great. Because mm-hmm. um, I was like, hey, they were in that movie. And we've done this movie. And it was really, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the movie. There are a lot of familiar faces in this movie for horror fans, even listeners of the podcast. We'll, we'll go over mm-hmm. a lot of them. Um, Justin, so you said you kind of thought maybe I've seen it before. But um, what did you think? Uh, I loved it too. Um, so I noticed that we're watching a lot of horror movies because I'm noticing like things I didn't notice in the past. I still don't have right the words for it, but this is so clearly the same person who did Halloween. Yeah. That it, like it just yells at you. Um, and it was really cool for me to experience that. I like, I've come to really enjoy the Halloween movie, lots of the Halloween movies. And it, so it felt kind of nostalgic while having some cool new 
monsters. Um, and yeah, it was really fun to recognize such a significant part of the cast and also be convinced of why like Jamie Lee Curtis um, could steal a show because uh, she's she's fantastic. Which came uh, first, The Mist or? The Fog. Oh, shit. Vogue? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Halloween. Uh, Halloween. Uh, what so, was? Uh, Halloween was 78. This was 80. So this was Carpenter's... Um, I think after this... Let me pull, pull up his filmography. Uh, one thing I didn't realize, he did an Elvis movie. I had completely forgotten. About, I guess I knew that at one point, but I forgot. John Carpenter did an Elvis made-for-TV movie. Um but yeah, this was his big first big movie after Halloween. Um, yep, so two years later, and this is really I think him right about at the at his peak. Um, you know, The Thing is arguably his best movie. It came out in 1982, so around this time is really when he's hitting his stride. Um, yeah, anything else to say? I mean. You, I agree. You can kind of see his style on this film. He has his own style. There's a lot of like wide open spaces and camera pans and just kind of gently glides, glides around. So if we jump gears, there's also so just some memorable scenes, I think, mm -hmm. and we'll get to some of them. Um, but, you know, sometimes some of the scenes stick with you and some movies, you know, you go through the whole movie and you know, nothing particular sticks but there's a there's some fun stuff in this movie uh, from like specific scenes that give you a little bit of a fright and so yeah yeah oh, i guess i should give like, we didn't say yeah mia's right the score uh is also clearly john carpenter uh, mm -hmm. there's no confusing it yeah i i love this movie obviously it was my pick um so well let's just go ahead and jump into it um this had been, it had been a long time since I, I, I saw this movie and I picked it in part because I knew, I remember I liked it, but it's not one I had seen many, many times. So I wanted to see it again. And I was happy to see, I think this time I, I caught more things and I appreciated it maybe even more than I did in the past. So it was great to watch it again. I watched it on a Blu-ray, big screen TV. Uh, I watched the Screen Factory release. Um, so it had a lot of nice, bonus features and the background information and a lot of the uh, information that I'm going to share about the movie came from those special features so I, I definitely recommend that release if you can get your hands on one um, so the movie as we already said released in 1980 it was directed by John Carpenter of course um, like we also said he did um, the score for the film as he did with most of his films he co-wrote the film uh, with producer Deborah Hill um, I, I guess in part, it's kind of a, I guess you could call it a ghost story if you want. Uh, you could also call it a zombie movie in some ways, not a traditional zombie movie, but it kind of is. There are really three main influences on the film that I could find. Um, one, there's a story, uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill actually went to Stonehenge. And when they were there, they saw just a bunch of thick, eerie fog and it would just kind of creep them out. So that was one influence. And also it comes from a historical story that John had read about people who would do what they did in this movie, uh, build fires on the coast to lure people into the coast where they would crash. And then you can go loot their ships. 
And three, back to the old EC horror comics like Tales from the Crypt. You know, it's a classic revenge from beyond the grave kind of story. You know, someone does something bad and then the dead come back uh, <laughs> to get revenge. Like we said, it has a ton of actors that we know. We'll talk about them as we get there. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and tell everybody I'm going to be referring to these characters by the actor's name, not by the character's name. To me, that's that's Jamie Lee Curtis. That's Tom Atkins. They have character names, but, you know, it's Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis. So, um, yeah, I think it's a great movie. Let's get started. It opens with a campfire story with an old sailor telling a bunch of kids and us the background, basically. It's a classic setup, you know, it was a night like this exactly 100 years ago uh, on a foggy night. That actor is great. I forget his name, but I just it immediately it sets you in the mood for the movie. It's creepy, but also kind of fun and spooky, you know, in a Halloween kind of way. And there's all these kids watching and listening. Um, so what happened 100 years ago? The Elizabeth Dane is a boat obviously, sank off the coast. And that's all we know at this point. And then we go to a church where we meet Father Malone. Did either of you recognize Father Malone? Didn't recognize from weird, just that he looked a little familiar. But I, Yeah. I, I, um, I had forgotten this was him too. That is Hal Holbrook, best known to me as the man who feeds his wife to a monster in the crate segment of Creep Show. Uh, Billy, Billy. Yes, just tell it to call you Billy. Uh, <laughs> and I've always loved that character in that segment. Uh, obviously, Creepshow is one of my favorite movies of all time. But uh, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's the that's him. <laughs> and uh, but he plays a very different role here, doesn't he? So I think it shows that he's a good actor. Uh, now, I don't suppose you noticed. <laughs> Who, so the man who asked him, you remember the guy says, Father, can I get paid tonight? And instead of paying him, he tells him to come in later the next day. Yeah. That's John Carpenter. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Mm -hmm. uh, for a second, I didn't recognize him because my whole life, John Carpenter has been really old. You know, he was old basically when I was born. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. And here he's still kind of a young guy. So I was like, is that, is that a young John Carpenter? It is. <laughs> And the character never shows back up. You know, he's just there. Um, so what did you guys think? Did you like the uh, the, the intro with um, the old sea captain telling the spooky ghost story? Kind of a campfire setting. Oh, yeah. I love campfire stories. Um, it's They're what, nostalgic. Yeah. Well, and it's what, like, such a love for storytelling comes from uh, historically and growing up around them. Um, so I like the scene. I, it wasn't clear to me, and I don't know if this is purposeful or not, how serious it was. It does kind of like feel too, too much of like a, a play on a stereotype and then you find out, no, he's serious. Um, so yeah. And then the, the stuff with Father Malone getting started, it was, was, was kind of funny. Um, and that the guy just wants to get paid and he's like, come in an hour later then if you're gonna ask Yeah. <laughs> So really, um, we're setting up, maybe there's some some greed, maybe in his family line. Ah, yeah. 
So I, I love that opening oh, scene, wow. though. Like you said, it is a little um, silly, but uh, yeah, foreshadowing. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's silly. It's just a little, it's kind of fun. You know, it is just kind of a fun campfire story type thing, and it sets the tone really well. But um, so very quickly, we get our first supernatural thing. Um, a brick just leaps out of the wall, basically. <laughs> And behind the brick, there is a book. Well, there's a book hidden behind the wall, you know, and it just decides on that night, 100 years later, to reveal itself, basically. It's written, uh, it's very quick, you have to be paying attention, but did you catch, you can see right there that it's written by his grandfather, basically, um, about 100 years before. So he opens to a page that says, Midnight till one belongs to the dead. Good Lord, deliver us. Great stuff. And that's so that, that's a big part of this movie is midnight to one is the witching hour, right? And that's something that's always stuck with me from this movie, that midnight to one is the, the ghost hour. Uh, then what happens? Oh, yeah, then the whole city basically goes crazy, right? Um, we see... Oh, well, first we get shots of the city at night, and then we hear another main character on the radio. This is a DJ, Adrienne Barbeau, and she is, you guys remembered her? Billy. Billy. Yeah, the one who gets fed to the monster in that segment of Creep Show. <laughs> uh, yeah, Adrienne Barbeau, she's another one you'll recognize, 80s horror fans, uh, especially John Carpenter fans. She was uh, the lead in Swamp Thing. She was in Escape from New York, and at that time, she was actually married to John Carpenter. So, um, yeah, good for him. Uh, <laughs> she tells us that this is the 100th anniversary. This, I think her voice here is, what do they call it, ASMR? Yeah, her voice is an early example of that. It's very, you could just um, listen to her talk for a while. Yeah. But anyway, she's yeah. telling us. Is that what it's called, Mia? ASMR? R, yeah, where it's more like soothing. What is it called? Um, uh, the actual term. I can't remember what the acronym is. Audio sensory something. Well, anyways, that's what she sounds like. Um, she was about 30 years ahead of her, of her time there. Autonom autonomous sensory meridian response. Yeah, we should yeah. stick with the acronym. Yeah, it's a relaxed and often sedative sensation that begins on the scalp and moves down the body. Huh. huh. Kind of like NPR, where everyone sounds like they've taken a bunch of Xanax, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, back to the movie. As the credits roll, uh, strange things start happening around the town. You guys remember... Uh, any of the stuff that happens, like when the whole town just goes crazy all at once. The row of cars that like start talking. Yeah, uh, all the... like everything, pretty much anything electronic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, all the car alarms start going off, like the, everything in the town all at once. Um, the pay phones start ringing, and a gas pump just kind of throws itself on the ground and starts pumping. And I had, uh, what do they call it, a Mandela effect, where I thought that started a fire, but I guess not. Um, nope, just pumps on the ground. And it's all, I don't know, what, what do you think about this, this opening part here? Is it 
effectively creepy? Um, I think so. Um, generally, for me, it wasn't as memorable, but I can see how that could be really creepy, just things going off for no reason. And the weird thing would be the gas pump falling on the floor. That's kind of, that one's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the lift, the lift machine, whatever you call it, at the mechanics lifts up the car, and I don't know, I just something about the the way he shoots it is very, uh, I like it because it's it's wide open, and you just get this real sense of emptiness, but what what I hear everything starts coming alive. Hmm? Is that autonomous machines doing stuff unexpected on their own is kind of frightening. Yeah, that's always kind of frightening. Maybe, maybe we should be a little concerned just right. as a general setting. It can be in the horror movie, current times, you take your pick. Yeah. Um, oh, and then we cut to one of the stars of the film. That is Tom Atkins, ladies and gentlemen, um, the king of cool. <laughs> he was in, again, another character, 80s film buffs you know who tom atkins is he was in halloween three he was he was also in creep show that's three people from creep show he was the father star of night of the creeps thrill me um yeah tom atkins he was uh driving into town it's never really explained why he's driving late at night it doesn't matter um but he picks up a hitchhiker i guess i guess if you're tom atkins you're, you're not scared of hitchhikers but uh, and who is the hitchhiker you guys know her jamie lee curtis there she That's is. Jamie Lee Curtis back working with John Carpenter. Um, you know, two two years after Halloween. So they have some flirty banter, and then suddenly <laughs> all the windows in the car just shatter. Um good little jump scare comes out of nowhere. You're not even really sure what's happening. Just they're talking and then bam, everything explodes. <laughs> and I guess uh I think doesn't the car die too? And they have to, uh, yeah, so everything just goes crazy at the same time that night. Um, then their conversation was kind of fun, too. I don't want to stick on it too long, but there, she's like, this is just my first time. Oh, and yeah. Are you, what did she say? Are you, are you weird? weird? Are you weird? Yeah, yeah, are you weird? And he's like, yes. <laughs> yes, I am weird. And she's like, thank and, God. I was tired of all those normal people. <laughs> right. <laughs> And you find out what's her backstory. She's she's a rich girl, like she's really privileged. Um, but to get some excitement out of life, she just decides to kind of leave all that behind and go hitchhiking across the country. Um, so yeah, interesting story. But uh, oh, back to Adrian Barbeau. Her station is based out of a lighthouse, a very important lighthouse. She talks to the weatherman, and he's. He's somebody too. And the weatherman. <laughs> yeah. Who is very flirty with her. <laughs> um, and he's trying to get her to go on a date, but she's like, no, my idea of perfection is a stranger on the phone or yeah. a voice on the phone, something like that. I love her lighthouse too. This made me want a lighthouse, just so we're all mm -hmm. quick. I want, a, I want a lighthouse that uh, we can do our podcast recording from and can also be a writing studio and just stare at the ocean. Yeah. It was beautiful. Some beautiful scenery here. You want a functioning lighthouse? It could be. It doesn't need to be. I mean, it could be a functioning lighthouse, and we could have our own radio channel on like local Pacific Northwest, and we could just run the podcast all the time. Yeah, you can have a uh, 
a lighthouse slash radio station like her. Yeah. Um, create our own AM station. I mean, it can't be that hard. All right. That's an actual lighthouse, of course. I mean, um, and you can go there still. It's down like 400 steps. Um, you know, you see there's like a part where she walks down the stairs. There's a, a lot of stairs there. So I'd like to go visit there one day. Um, but yeah, so she's a radio DJ host, kind of like a local person. She gets calls from the weatherman who has a crush on her. Uh, even though he's never seen her, he just knows her voice. Um, and she, he tells her and she sends out a warning that fog is coming in. Okay. So cut to men drinking on a boat. It's midnight. I guess that's what you do in this town. You just go out on the boat and get really, really drunk. Um, and they're the first to see the fog. Okay, it moves in and surrounds them with super unnatural quickness and a strange glow. Their engine dies and a ghost shift, a shift, a ghost ship, <laughs> yeah, drifts by them. Uh, and then on their boat are suddenly our villains of the movie. They're, well, how would you guys describe the. <laughs> they do have a brand. They're like almost like they remind me like uh, pirates or something mm, like that. Pirates, like pirates yep. zombies, pirates, ghost people, sea people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, water fog mist. <laughs> <laughs> like I said at the beginning of the film, they're part ghost, part zombie. You know that kind of. Uh, EC monsters, supernatural zombies, basically, that not just that they can, that they're reanimated corpses, but they can materialize and vanish and be different places, and um, um, they do kind of look like pirates. I mean, so they're shot really well, because you never, you rarely get a very good look at them, right? Um, they have but weird can, restrictions, too, like, as long as you keep the door closed, but don't let there be a window cracked. <laughs> Like what volume needs to sneak into the space for them to appear? It's great. They they bust they start busting their way in later, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a period. Well, it's Further. creepy if they knock first. You know, it's kind of the old vampire thing where you have to let them in. But yeah, the rules aren't that clear. Uh, when they want in, they'll get in, but they might mess with you first. I guess is the idea. Um, but I don't know. Do you like them? Are they are they effectively creepy? Effectively creepy. Well, two, I mean, we live where there's a ton of fog. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a we were also like we had we just had been very hazy here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, those little creepy fuckers coming out of the water and old sailors and ugh, I think it's pretty creepy. Yeah, they're creepy. I think the chance of us running into a pirate ship in the fog. <laughs> there were no pirate ships. Slimmer here. But but they were yeah. creepy. Yeah. Yeah, I think they they had like a buildup because you could see like their extremities, like their hands and their weapons in their hands. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> the hooks on their hands. A good look at them, right? There's one scene at the end where you get a brief close up of what their bodies look like. Um, but for the most part, they're always it's it's the cinematography again, it's the way they're shot that's done so well. They're always just lit properly. 
it, they look like a shadow somehow and they're always in the fog and it's very ghostly and cool. So I, I like them. There's only, there's one part at the end where you see one with red glowing Good eyes. Night. Yeah. And even when I first saw the movie, I thought, eh, that's a little cheesy right there. I don't think we needed the red glowing eyes. It was, it was good without that. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think they're great. And you can see they, they do have hooks and stuff like that. So, and we don't know anything about them. We, we just assume they're from the ship that we learned about at the beginning of the movie. Elizabeth we'll learn Dane. a little. Hmm? The Elizabeth Dane. The Elizabeth Dane. And we'll learn more about them soon. But next we see Jamie Lee, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis and Tom Atkins are in bed together. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not not an explicit scene at all, but you get it right. Uh, <laughs> and there's the, do you remember the the question he asked her? There's a hilarious question he asked for her. Yeah, he wants to know her name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you something? What's your name? Um, then now, he asks, where are you from? And she's like, that's two questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's I like them. What do you guys think about the their chemistry in this movie? Um, do you like them as a pair in the movie, how they play off yeah. each other or? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have much of an opinion on it. I mean, I think they, 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 as a pair, they work well together. I mean, for being this, them only knowing them, knowing each other for a very <laughs> short amount of time. I, I, I like them. I, I mean, there, there's some funny, uh, yeah, there's some 80s things going on here. Um, <laughs> but there's some, like some really fun moments. And I like, the idea of kind of just getting involved in some random stranger's life and just like going along for the ride um just as like a oh here i am and this is this thing going on and i'm just gonna kind of roll with it um and it's it's hard it's something that you would be really hard to do today um and i like it i and i kind of miss that that's like a thing that's easy enough to to do just as a choice can you relate to the hitchhiking (laughs) I, 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 I did my own version of hitchhiking. Um, it was very, um, it was very, uh, uh, I got stranded in an airport in Mexico <laughs> ended up on a flight to Florida with people I had just met. And then they drove me from Florida to Georgia. Um, but yeah, so that, was, that wasn't the closest thing I came to actual hitchhiking. I didn't walk alongside the road. Yeah, I never did hitchhiking, but um, probably because I've seen too many horror movies. But I knew people like that in college, you know, who people would just like show up. I, going to college in Atlanta in the middle of the city, people just show up, weird people, and they'd hang out for a while. And sometimes they'd stick around and sometimes they wouldn't. But um, yep. anyways, back to the point, I like the, the, the kind of chemistry between these two characters, although it is funny because he is definitely at least 20 years older than her here. <laughs> He's in his, uh, I looked up their ages, and he's in his early 40s, early to mid 40s at this point, and she's like 21. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. You, you forget like, oh, he's a lot older than her, but um, hey, anyways. Hmm? Hey, yep. Each his own. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so they're in bed together, and then they're talking for a little while. There's, yeah, knocking time. There's a knock at the door, and we see it's one of the shadowy figures. Um, I guess we'll call them ghosts. Um, whatever you whatever you want to call them is fine. I'll call them ghosts. But um, it's, again, it's the cinematography, I'll say it over and over again, that makes this work so well. The way this scene is lit, and you can see it kind of like through the glass as a shadow in the fog, and it's just standing there, and we know what it is. They don't know what it is, um, but it's weird. Anytime there's a knock at your door at midnight or whatever time it is there, um, and when he goes to answer it, you can see it raises its hook, but before he can unlock the door, uh, the glass on the clock shatters, and it turns one o'clock, the end of the witching hour, and the ghost vanishes, right? I guess they can only exist from midnight to one. So there's a thing with, it's almost comical at this point, where glass in this movie just has to be broken. <laughs> well, it was on the ship, too. I mean, when they uh, were in there on the ship. It's all mm -hmm. broken. All the glass is broken there, too. Yeah, it's a repeating theme that if there's glass in this movie, it's got to be broken. That's half the special effects budget. <laughs> it's <laughs> breaking glass. Um, yeah, I, what happens next? Oh, the next morning, this movie is like, I don't know, half set up, and then it switches tone about halfway, two-thirds to, into all-out, two-thirds through um, into all-out horror. But... Um, the next morning, uh, we find out it's Adrian Barbeau's son. He is fishing on the beach when he finds um, a gold coin. Did you guys see that when you watched it? Did you actually see the co uh, coin? Pinch the coin. Mm -mm. I have seen this movie, I don't know, three or four times. And I think this was the first time I actually saw the coin. If you don't, if you're not looking closely and don't have a good, a good image, you might miss it. But yeah, he, he goes over there first because he sees a gold coin. Uh, glimmering in the sunlight which i had never actually been able to see before i don't know if it was my screen or what um but and then you're looking at the coin and the plank the coin turns into the plank which makes it even weirder so uh, but yeah like we just said he he's goes to look at this coin then a huge wave comes and when the wave goes back the coin has become uh, a plank of wood that says dane on it so of course we know it's from the elizabeth dane that's the name of the ship that sank. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I have to say, we talked about the music a little earlier. This is the first time I really noticed, wow, the music really adds a lot here. Just his, his score is uh, fantastic. And without, without the score, it wouldn't be nearly as effective. Just a kid finding a piece of wood on, on the water. But with the music, it's very creepy. Um, so he takes it to his mom and she's like, well, this is interesting. And she takes it to work with her. Why not? Um, <laughs> and for a while, for a good part, maybe the next half hour or so, a good part of the rest of this movie, we're kind of going back and forth between two groups of people. Um, and rather than cutting back and forth, like it does in the movie, we'll just cover what each group is doing one at a time. So the first is, uh, we have a woman it's not clear. I always just assume she's the mayor. Um, I don't know if it explicitly states what her job is, but anyway, she's in charge of the town's 100th anniversary celebration. So, um, the town is all, mm -hmm. community socialite. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I think she's she's in the government, but uh, so her and her assistant are going to the church to ask Father Malone to, I guess, say a prayer or something in the church. Okay, now I've got a few people we've got to cover here. Um, the the older woman here, that's Janet Lay. She is the mother of Jamie Lee Curtis, and she was the star of Psycho and The Birds. So we've seen her before as well. Oh, that's cool. This was one of, I think they did two movies together. She was also in Halloween H2O with Jamie Lee Curtis. So yeah, it's kind of cool that she pops up. And did you recognize her assistant by any chance? Did recognize, uh, we had to Google it to remember, uh, me remembered, I couldn't remember, but uh, who she was in what movie it was but i was like i, I recognize her and i can't place it mm -hmm. and uh, me remember that it was annie in uh, in halloween she yep. dies in the laundry room doesn't yep, she does and yeah i do remember the scene just i couldn't i'm about to be murdered by the dog <laughs> yeah yeah uh one of the uh teenagers with the high schoolers with an attitude from halloween that's uh jamie loomis playing annie she's not a not a major character in this film but eh, semi-major supporting role um so yeah it's just everybody is in this movie and that's kind of what i like about the filmmaking at at this time um is there was sort of a family aspect to making movies you know all these people knew each other uh he's married to one of the actresses they've all worked in movies together they've all been in other movies so it, it is kind of a, a small little group right but um so they go to the church talk to father malone and Father Malone, I think, has been up drinking all night. <laughs> um, and he's completely distracted. And he tells them about the book he found. So, Mia, you want to jump in and tell us about this, the book that he found at the beginning of the movie? What all does it tell us? Sure. So the book reveals more history behind the teaching of the Elizabeth Dane. The owner was a leper from a colony on a nearby island, and despite his condition, he is wealthy and wants to relocate the colony to nearby, nearby the town. So Father Malone's grandfather, not wanting lepers so close to their town, conspired to draw the ship to its destruction <laughs> on some rocks and keeps the man's gold for themselves and he, to help rebuild the town or to help to build the town. So, you know stingy uh i guess like previous priest mm -hmm. right well i guess father, malone, father malone's grandfather so like was it is his great grandfather or grandfather a priest as well yeah yes. that was my read of it yeah that he was the he was the priest at the time uh because he uh he wants the gold he wanted the communion he wants the gold what is it when they're asking for is it communion <laughs> <laughs> You were raised Catholic. You know these things. <laughs> you passed the test. Just for the party. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's a fun little backstory, and this is a like I said at the beginning of the film. The same way the movie is kind of a classic. It, this is a classic setup story. This is something you'll see a lot in horror movies. There's some sort of old evil that was done a long time ago and there has to be justice done usually violent bloody justice you know uh, a lot of slasher movies are like that something a uh, person was killed wrongly so they come back and become a killer so that's what we're learning is going on here um 
what was the i can't remember oh, i can't believe i'm forgetting the main the main leper's name blake blake thank you justin yeah so blake is a leper in a leper colony he's but he's very wealthy so he wants to make his life better for him and his people and he says look we want to come live nearby your town and so they set fires on the shore to lure them into the rocks and kills them all and then they go out there to take their gold so yeah it's a pretty shitty thing to do right um so and i i i i love all this setup i love all this build up the atmosphere um the way it's revealed, just them reading from uh, from the journal. It's great stuff. All the acting is good. Um, but now, so that's that's one group we're following at this point of the movie. And the other group that we're following is, of course, Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis. So Tom is friends with one of the guys who we saw murdered at the beginning of the film on the boat out in the dark. And he goes to check Ow. on his friend. Ow. It's Ow. It's his friend Al drinking fishing, buddy. Mm -hmm. um, he goes to see, hey, where's my friend at? They never came back. You know, something's wrong. Everyone's like, oh, they're probably just drunk. Yeah, they're not so drunk. They just don't come back, you know? Um, so they go out to, well, Justin, I'll turn it over to you. We'll let this be your turn. They um, they go out to find the boat. They find the boat. Take it from there. Thanks for the turn. I appreciate that. <laughs> And remember what happens. <laughs> they, him and Jamie Lee, they go out to the boats and they yes, and the boat. they're there. Yeah, so they find the boat, they board it. It looks deserted. Um, it's kind of floating along. They like like spots it, and they're looking for Al and Al's two buddies, and uh, they don't find anything. They don't find anything, uh, and then they do. They find out and <laughs> he looks like he's been underwater uh, and decomposing and um, and they they recover him. Uh, what? Go ahead. Yeah. I was like, where do they find him? They find him below deck. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. a great like uh, double jump scare. So one thing about this movie is when they finish this movie. John Carpenter watched it and said, oh, this sucks. <laughs> he was, he actually made a movie, he was finished and went, I don't like this. This isn't good. So they went back and redid a lot of things, added new scenes, reworked some stuff until they ended up with um, a good movie. And this was one of the things that wasn't quite working. So they're sitting down below deck, um, just waiting for the Coast Guard basically to show up because um, they can't find their friends and there's like a double jump scare that's kind of fun because well uh, tom atkins is telling this creepy little ghost story about his father and um at this point if you've seen a lot of horror movies you're waiting for it you're like there's a jump scare coming soon um but the first one is just there's a locker that but oh the door starts uh like it looks like someone's inside it the, the door handle starts turning and then the locker falls open and it's just supplies and they fall on the floor. Um, and you know, they shot that scene and they're like, this isn't that good, but they kept it in and they added a second jump scare. So you think you've had kind of a fake out, but then the real jump scare happens where uh, the Look corpse, 
falls from like behind the uh, curtain or something. It just like falls out. And I think this is a pretty good little scare, you know, just suddenly like, ah, <laughs> bloated corpse. <laughs> Great. Um, it also doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> and the other two bodies are gone, but they hit this one so that they can find it. Well, what, why, why is he stored on deck? I don't quite understand. Yeah, um, there's a lot of unexplained stuff going on here. And we skipped over a few things. So first off, the whole boat, the boat is dry, but they find things that make it seem like it's been underwater. Like the beer can has seawater in it. All the machine, all the glass is broken. The machines are rusted. Um, uh, yeah, so it, it, everything looks like it's been underwater. So yeah, none of it really makes sense. And that's what's kind of weird about it. it they can't make sense of it. Um, oh, the, the generator or the engine is completely waterlogged, even though the rest of the boat is dry. So yeah, none of it makes any sense. And we kind of go into that. Uh, well, Mia, we, what did you think about the, uh, the kind of the jump scare there? Did that one get you? Were there any jump scares that got you in this movie? Yes. And it was the one where the father comes out of nowhere out of the darkness. <laughs> I don't know if that was serious or not either, but it's like, oh, there he is. Um, that one was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little later we have that. I hate that. I think I've complained about that on the podcast before. <laughs> hey. That one got me. That one got me. I was like, whoa, that was a good one. Because I was not expecting it. It just came out of nowhere. Yeah, that the one where... um. He falls on Jamie Lee Curtis. No, it did not get me. It was the father one. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's a, a fake. It's a double fake out, right? Something scary is happening. Oh, that wasn't too scary. Ah, there is something scary happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know I say this every time, but I'll say it again. Nobody does that. Nobody like grabs someone from behind in a dark place. You know, <laughs> you just say, "Hey, <laughs> say, hey. sorry, <laughs> did I scare you? Yes, you scared me." Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, now we get to another uh, great scene. I think this was one. Yeah, this was one they added in later. It's the like an autopsy scene. Uh, or So Jamie and Tom, they go talk to a medical examiner who's examining the body that just fell on Jamie Lee Curtis. And he pulls Tom into the hallway to kind of talk about how confused he is, leaving Jamie Lee behind. So he's explaining... The body looks like it's been underwater for a month, he says, mm -hmm. even though, um, you know, they had just seen the guy a couple days before. So none of this makes sense. There's more mystery going on. He's like, you can't tell me you found this guy on the boat. He was underwater. Um, and he looks like he's been dead for a long time. But, uh, and then there's some typical ghost stuff where Tom Atkins saying, is it getting cold here? Um, <laughs> But the classic scene, the classic scene here, this is one that sticks with me. Um, this is more of a traditional kind of zombie scene. Mm -hmm. uh, Mia, you want to tell us about what Jamie Lee Curtis experiences when she's alone with the corpse? I certainly do. Yeah. So she is in the left alone in the autopsy room. And of course, she's going to look the other opposite direction of where the body is. And then you see it move under the blanket it reaches its hand out and grabs the scalpel and then stands <laughs> up and starts to walk towards her before collapsing on the ground. And it cuts a three into the floor. So this also kind of reminds me of like weird, for some reason, like reanimator or something like that. 
You also like as soon as she as soon as uh, he grabs a scalpel, she was like, <laughs> "You're like a oh, murderous rage." Why <laughs> uh, the murderous rage, Al? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great creepy scene. Uh, the way it's shot is really good because you never really see it. You just see like movement under the blanket, and then you see like its feet from underneath the table. Um, and you kind of like see a shadowy figure. It's a really creepy scene. Yeah, I think there was one like that in Reanimator. Uh, there's a scene like that in Zombie, one of our earlier movies we covered where the zombie kind of like sits up underneath the blanket. Um, yeah, just adds an extra layer to it. So I guess we should explain the three thing. Um, it's explained at some point, I can't remember. Uh, it's explained that six people were killed and I can't remember when it was explained, but a part of the uh, the revenge aspect is six people on the boat were killed on the Elizabeth Dane, so now they have to kill six people to get revenge, and uh, it's made a little more clear later. I can't remember at this point. Do we know what the three is about? Has that been explained yet? I think so. I don't I think, think it so. Comes, um, maybe right after. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Here but... it comes. Yeah, but I yeah at the time we don't know what it is. I just noticed it, it was like I think I, I think I said is that three? Um, yeah. And that was something again I I hadn't noticed before. I don't know if just watching old DVD copies that weren't that great or what. But uh, this time I could definitely see oh it it fell down and cut a three into the floor with a scalpel. But yeah, classic scene. Another one that they added in when they felt that the original movie was lacking. And I think it's a, a great scene. So we go back to Adrian Barbeau, the DJ. She's preparing for her shift. And I like that for a while, we just kind of follow her walking to her job, you yeah. know, carrying the, the plank of wood, um, just kind of chewing the scenery, I, I guess, with walking around the lighthouse, going down the stairs. Um, but what sets up the tension in this movie is she's listening to recordings, uh, potential radio bumpers, promos. Uh, I, I don't know. It's hmm. Something about that is creepy, the way it just repeats over and over again right um and it's like a uh, hundred different ways of trying it out yeah and it just keeps going over and over and over again it kind of drones on and on in the background and she brings in um the plank that her son gave her sets it on the table and when she's not looking there's a pretty cool little effect here where the plank is completely dry but it starts leaking water like water just starts emerging from it um i'm actually not oh. sure how they did that but um, when the water reaches the recorder, it switches to an eerie voice. I don't, I didn't catch what it was saying, but it's really creepy. And then <laughs> uh, all subtlety goes out the window as the recorder just bursts into flames. <laughs> um, and did you guys catch what the plank says? This is another thing I, I've missed before. Oh, no. well, you missed it. Yeah, it's a, a lot of quick little stuff I picked on this time, but somehow I just had not seen the last few times I watched it. Um, I knew that the plank said something differently before, but if you're paying attention, the plank, instead of saying Dane says six must die. Oh, uh, I did see that it said something different, but I don't think I, I made all that out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It says six must die. And then you're like, oh, six, three. Oh, we're starting to figure out the mystery here. Um, so she puts out the fire and everything goes back to norm normal. Now, <laughs> she's the one of the first people in the movie um to go okay something weird is definitely happening here 
Um, <laughs> you know, you always have people that are oblivious, and then you have the other people who are like, this is strange. This is all really strange. Corpse is walking around. But she's like, mm, we're definitely haunted right now. <laughs> um, so she's like, I should check in on my son. <laughs> um, she calls her son and tells him to stay with um, her baby, his babysitter. I'm sure she'll be a lot of help. Uh, and do not go back out to the beach where you found the evil mystery plank. Don't go back there, please. Uh, <laughs> so where do we go to next in the movie? Okay, so I think this is the point where we kind of transition to like a serious all-out horror. Up until this point, we've been building suspense and mystery. Now things get really go all out, right? People leave us. Uh, People leave this world. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yes, we start getting actual murders. So the town is beginning its commemorations of its 100th anniversary, which we know uh, put together at this point is also the 100th anniversary of the drowning of the ship. And we know that the town is founded partially um, on this crime. You know, it helped fund, helped fund the town. So they're celebrating murders, like Father Malone says, and they don't know it. Um, the glowing fog begins to come back in. It arrives first at the weatherman station. <laughs> back to that guy. Remember him? Mm -hmm. um, the lonely weatherman <laughs> who's on the phone talking to a freaked out Adrian Barbeau. She, she now is completely freaked out. She's watching the fog come in. And she's telling him, like, look, whatever you do, stay away from that fog. There's something wrong with it. I mean, look at it, okay? And to be fair, the weatherman should probably have known that already. Somebody's playing a prank on me. The wind. Uh, huh? It was like, well, the fog kept going against yes. the wind. They commented on like multiple times. The weatherman's like, nah, it's fine. Right. Fine. It, if the fog goes in the opposite direction of the wind, or if, you know, cats and dogs are. If animals start running in one direction, you should follow, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, Classic. And she's on the phone with him the whole time. And despite what she's telling him, when there's a knock at the door, he goes to answer it. And I think, is he our first, other than the guys on the boat, he, this is our first murder, right? Before. Yeah. Uh, again, I just can't say enough about, this could have been terrible. Um, if the cinematography and the directing weren't up to point, this could have looked so cheesy. Um, but it works the way the fog and lighting come together. I just think it, it's a really great effect. And um, the way they did the fog was they had these machines that look like leaf blowers, but they blow fog, artificial fog. And those things can fill up a room in seconds. So... Um, it's really cool to watch the behind the scenes stuff. They just like turn on these big machines and spray the fog everywhere and fan it out and then start rolling. And uh, they have a strong backlight. It works really well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. What about you guys? Do you like, do you like the, the effect here? Do you like the way the fog looks? I think the fog's creepy throughout. I mean, I, <laughs> They do a nice job of pumping in a lot of it and multiple times. It's like overwhelming. It like glows. And there's a couple scenes from the lighthouse where the fog is really creepy. Um, 
so yeah i think it's uh it's it's fun and the in particular when dan the weatherman is killed it's like over the fog is like overwhelming outside and um so yeah i think it's done really well you know the fog is kind of like it's i mean it's the name of the movie but it's kind of its own character right it reminds me of um return of the living dead the uh the smoke that is released yeah how can you forget that cemetery scene i mean yeah yeah. it's kind of its own character and we follow it around and uh, it brings yeah yeah there's fog in that scene too right yeah yeah well it's not fog in there it's smoke from the crematorium where they burn the corpse and that's what goes into the cemetery that's right that's what what i was saying about the whole time Uh yeah okay she (laughs) she calls over so she's listened to the murder okay and she's freaked out it's good acting here i think um she's already as i've said completely freaked out now she's just heard someone get murdered so she calls over the radio for the sheriff to contact her but when he does the fog reaches the power station and cuts off all the uh electricity in the whole town no, nope, uh, you're not going to communicate this. We are intelligent ghosts. Yeah, sort of like when the killer cuts the uh, cuts the phone line, except the uh, the fog here cuts all the power in the entire town. <laughs> um, so she sees the fog. Oh, so she lives close to. She sees that the fog is approaching her house. I'm not sure how that works because she had to drive a ways. I guess she just knows about where her house is. Um, we remember her son is still along with just the old babysitter. Uh, she screams out on the radio for anyone listening to go. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine, like, think about that if you're just listening to the radio and then suddenly the DJ is like screaming for help, you know? Uh, well, only five people were listening and two right. of them to listen were listening. <laughs> Um, so she's already, we kind of skipped over it, but she's already gotten in touch with Tom Atkins. Um, so she kind of sends out a message knowing that they're listening. Basically, she's basically shouting to them, like, please go help my kid. The evil fog is coming to his house. And what else? So they, they're like, okay, we'll go. Um, but the fog quickly surrounds the house. Um, so the babysitter starts getting a little, freaked out at this point and justify justifiably so she sends the room to she sends the room she sends her son sends the boy to his room and then she gets a knock on the door now here's the stupid moment why do you answer the door there's at least one in almost every movie you know why do you answer the door don't answer the door you know it's evil <laughs> when she knew to like close all the windows to keep the mist out but then open the door anyways yeah um i guess i i don't know maybe some something in your psyche says you just have to confront it and break the tension just get it over with i don't know but yeah it was like fog- she knew it was coming like she was she was a little bit older and maybe she knew some of the old stories and like knew they were coming back a hundred years later to get her no i think she was she knew she was a movie sacrifice <laughs> yeah it's like, she's not too important to the story it'd probably be <laughs> it's probably her time to go um but yeah it's a real creepy scene when the fog comes in and the fog is like breaking into the house basically 
But yeah, for some reason, just look past the fact that she opens the door. Um, when she gets the knock on the door, she opens it. And of course, the shadowy figures pull her into the fog and uh, kill her, mostly off screen. You know, you just get the implication of what's happening. But um, the fog goes Bye, into baby. the house. What's that? Bye-bye, babysitter. Yeah, yeah, she's gone. Typical, typical, typical. The babysitters never make it, unless they're the, the star. Yes, I was about to say, did you see Halloween? <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, the fog starts chasing after the boy, right? So at this point, uh, again, I don't know, as you pointed out earlier, I don't know why the ghosts bother knocking. They can just come in. Um, but they come in after him. And he is smart. The boy is maybe smarter because he does not open the door when the evil ghosts come and uh, knock. But so we see they just start bashing his door in with their hooks and stuff. But Tom Atkins arrives just in time to rescue the uh, boy and escape. Now, Adrian, she's keeping watch from the lighthouse and she's sort of like uh, sending out warnings to the town. Uh, and she's she becomes like um, the fog watch lady. She's telling everybody like, oh, the fog's coming down. The fog's coming down this road. Oh, now it's going up this road. There's only one road left. Everybody go this way. Um, yeah, yeah, Paul Revere. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's often the omniscient, too. I mean, she can, like, magically follow the fog throughout every street by street. It's coming down James yeah. Street. Yeah, she can see where it's going. But uh, basically, the group... Um, they have they end up at the church trying to they're literally, there's literally a car chase scene with fog you know um it's great uh but they get to the church and also uh i'm gonna call her the mayor i don't think it's explicitly stated she's the mayor but generally um they also end up at the church trying to get away from the fog and it's father malone's church okay does anybody else, you guys want to take, I talked a lot a bit, this last bit here, you want to tell us a little bit about what happens in the, uh, it kind of turns into a zombie movie here at the end, you know, kind of like Night of the Living Dead, where they barricade themselves in. Yeah. Um, we're, kind of, we're close to the end here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we finally made it. Um, well, they um, they are able to get inside of the church, and you can see what looks like five or six bodies um and uh the priest has like he knows what they want i mean he, like we were saying earlier that or alluding to they his grandfather took the gold and he didn't even give it to the town he just used it to make a big fucking cross um that he hid yeah so there's a little bit of that that that's kind of conflicting there did you use the gold to found the town or did you just turn it into a cross and hide it which one was it yeah maybe um, there was a lot more gold maybe there was more and some went to founding the town and some went to to making the cross but the ghosts only apparently care about the gold that was used to make the cross so i'm assuming that's all the gold um it's a lot it's of like, gold it's a lot of gold it was how much you think that cross is worth <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh yeah gold's pretty expensive these days i think um mm -hmm. so they say uh yeah so he carries out the cross to them and well can i sorry to interrupt you again justin but i want to say this is one of the most classic shots in the whole movie he's standing in the church 
and the the ghosts have made it into the church and it's dark and foggy and you just see them just standing there that's one of my I, I just love that that shot when you just see them standing there they're not moving they're not running they're just standing menacingly <laughs> so yeah he finds out kind of um is it deus ex machina did i say it right there at the end like ah they want their gold i know where the gold is and i'll take it to them uh yeah so he go he carries it out there all right keep going justin yeah thanks bud yeah um and i would not have thought to mention this the the beauty of the scene and it really is done nicely with all the fog pumped into the church and you can father malone's like carrying it and he's like trying to give it back and finally do the somewhat of a right thing um and he admits to the crimes and gives it to them and they all go away well um, first what what happens there it's weird it's almost like he's being electrocuted at first he he's, oh yeah yeah i don't yeah, know it's not really clear i guess but maybe there it's another reference to electricity again maybe yeah i just uh just i just interpret it as the impact of encountering supernatural power directly you know when the monster reaches out and grabs the gold he starts shaking and they they pull him away so the ends right sort of sort yeah. of yep so we see father malone again later should yeah. i do this part too do you want it jared mia does someone else want it mia you want to take the very end sure so he's all like so they didn't take me it wasn't necessary and then they're like oh wait we're back i'm gonna cut your head off <laughs> no we needed six he like pulls the sword out because <laughs> the fog comes back from because i mean everything disappears and yep. you think it's like resolution and then suddenly you know i mean he bites his own what is it bites your own tongue or what is it <laughs> he eats his own words he eats his own words and he's like i guess you didn't need the six person and they're like we're rewind we're coming back yeah. fog rolls in the door and then they cut his head off i um i don't know what do you what do you think about that that part do you like the the ghost you thought it was funny <laughs> he's like i don't know he uh I feel like he, he had to die. That, I mean, I, I I like that that's how they finished the revenge story. It feels appropriate that they did take six, and the sixth was the grandson of the of the priest that that signed off for the town on stealing the gold for them. Um, it feels like a appropriate conclusion. Vindication for the zombies. Uh, well, I have another false memory here because uh, again, it's been years since I saw the movie, but I thought that he died when they grab the gold and he starts shaking, I thought that's what kills him or that he vanishes yeah. with them or something like that. But no, he survives that. Then they disappear. And then we cut to him saying, why didn't they kill me? And then they show up and kill him. Mm -hmm. So I don't really like the very, very ending there. Mm -hmm. I think I suspect uh, I would have to look it up. I suspect that was tacked on later. Like probably that it wasn't going to end that way. And then they're like, yeah, we need a last jump scare ever since, um, mm -hmm. I guess, Carrie, um, was one of the earliest examples I can think of. There has to be that last scare, you know, when everything seems like it's resolved and oh no, one last moment. Um, so it's it, still, mm -hmm. 
it feels a little tacked on to me that why would the ghosts get what they want, then go away, and then show come back later? Yeah. Well, anyways. Uh, they need a poetic moment. They need yeah. a poetic moment. Um, yeah, but that's that's the end of the fog. Okay. All right, so now's the part where did we skip over anything? Anything we didn't get to or extra thoughts on the movie or did we cover it all? I think we covered it all, but I do have to say, so when they're standing in the church, uh, the zombies are staring, standing in the church and they're looking at the father. It kind of reminds me, I feel like maybe it's maybe a false memory or maybe it did happen, but when we're watching iZombie, wasn't there, not iZombie, zombie one, <laughs> zombie one. Weren't they like standing there too? I guess like whenever they come to the, where they're facing off at the very end. And you're, you're talking about the full cheese zombie movie. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. There. There is a scene in that movie where they face off in a church and all the, the monsters come into the church. Yeah. Good callback. Um. um I so just, my, my I would just add that. Uh, uh, autonomous autonomous machines doing scary things all on their own was pretty terrifying uh, in this movie, um, as were the ghosts. We also skipped over the scene in the convenience store. Um, remember that one when everything's going crazy at the beginning of the movie, the guy's alone in the convenience store and there's like an earthquake. Oh, yeah. This uh, funny little moment where he gets a drink out of the refrigerator takes a sip and just puts it back <laughs> um yeah yeah i think it's a uh a great i don't know so how would you how would you rank it is it something you'd watch again something you would you recommend it to most people some people yes and yes to all people would i watch it again yes um, yeah, yeah, I would. I think it's like a good like amount of like that you can follow along. That it's not a hard movie to follow with. Um, I mean, there are some plot and loopholes, but you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, where was the where? This is a functioning lighthouse. Where was the lighthouse guy? That doesn't matter. <laughs> but I would totally recommend and watch it again. I I also like it. I um, it. It may, I think horror, horror people who like horror films would definitely enjoy this one. It's got like a lot of classic uh, uh, folks from early horror movies related to some of like, you know, John Carpenter was a big influence in uh, early horror and I really liked it. And yeah, I'm with me. I think there's, it's not too serious. It's got some funny moments. I mean, uh, Father Malone does jump out of the dark out of nowhere, like he's uh, coming up out of the ground, uh, and uh, yeah, and it's it's fun uh, and it's creepy at moments, and uh, it's also like whole, another whole sets of things that only work in a world before cell phones, um, mm -hmm. and uh, I appreciate that about it. Um, yeah. And it started with the campfire story, which I love. <clears throat> yeah, I. I... I highly recommend this movie too. I think it's great. I was happy that after watching it again after so many years that I liked it just as much or, or even better, appreciated it more. Um, this was, you know, after Halloween, Carpenter wanted to do something different because Halloween was kind of a, a slasher movie. There was a lot, of, there was like sex and 
um, teenagers being dumb and he wanted to just do something with a completely different feel to it. So this one has more of a classic ghost story feel to it. Like I said, the EC influences are there. Um, I love it. I think it's great. And it's the, the direction, cinematography. It's, it's a John Carpenter film. So everything that's good about Carpenter is in this movie. Uh, is it my favorite? No, I still think The Thing is still my favorite John Carpenter film. Um, but this one's up there. Have you guys seen They Live with Roddy Piper? No. Nope. The one with yeah. the glasses? You and I have watched that together. Yeah, we did watch that one one time. The um, I came here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all on a bubble gum. That movie, uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Prince of Darkness, people, is an overlooked John Carpenter movie. Uh, I recently saw In the Mouth of Madness, um, a '90s one that was pretty good, kind of a Lovecraft type film. Um, so yeah, John Carpenter, he's he is deservedly one of the most respected names in horror filmmaking and this is a good one yeah so what do we have coming up next we have oh yeah so this was like many carpenter movies this one was not properly appreciated when it first came out i mean it, first of all they made this movie on just over a million dollars which is crazy when you think about how good this movie looks and how good of a movie they made with just like a million dollars but it was really successful in the box office it earned over 21 million so uh big success but for some reason a lot of carpenter films uh that are now considered classics didn't get that much respect from critics at the time like the thing is now considered one of the greatest movies ever and it got bad reviews and this one also uh, I think it just got mediocre reviews, but since That's then, pretty it's common for like horror movies and critics of the time, right? I mean, are there a lot of horror movies during this time period where critics are like raw? Well, I guess that's true too. Uh, you know, now that you say that, I'd be interested to look up what horror movies at that time were well received. Uh, well, I think the, I could be wrong. I think the exorcist was well received um omen some of the more serious like roman polanski stuff um but yeah um this one john carpenter stuff was not <laughs> at the time but eventually now it's recognized as a uh, a classic so that's the end of the fog and that was my pick next is justin's pick justin what do you have for us well, this is only my pick by proxy of your expertise. Oh, yeah. um, I don't have uh, I don't have any good insights other than um, I have been studying technology and its impact on society. And I had said to you that uh, you know some films uh, that cover that more properly would be fun. And you multiple times now have said I should watch some Cronenberg films. And when I asked you, what do you think? What, uh, what did you think best represented some of my concerns or just that highlights this kind of concern about technology and horror videodrome was what you suggested would should be at the top of my list. So I'm super excited to watch it, um, but that's, that's why I picked it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I don't know if videodrome is the best <clears throat> example of that 
but it is a great place to start for David Cronenberg. And a lot of his movies are all about technology and its impact on human bodies and where does the where does humanity end and machine begin and animal begin and all that so videodrome it's a trippy movie i wrote a paper on it in college maybe i can dig that up <laughs> but david cronenberg he's one um david cronenberg might actually be my favorite director um yeah, he's up there. So without going too much into the movie, everybody go watch Videodrome again, and we will talk about it in our next episode. All right, so that's The Fog. We'll see you back next time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good time as always. Yeah. All right, goodbye, everybody.